Amen. I was anticipating this morning. Uh, I have been watching the, uh, the weather, and it was predicting that we were going to have cooler weather this week. And I got excited. I was feeling God in all of that. And I thought, certainly it's going to be cool when I walk out this morning. And I walked out the front door, and the humidity slapped me in the face. And I thought, oh, missed but then it was cooler. It's getting cooler by the hour. But this is the time of year that Floridians live for. Ah, oh, we've endured our winter, and it's called summer. And now we're into God's weather. So I'm so excited about that. Uh, I want to talk to you for a few moments today. We're, we're on, the, on the topic of who is Jesus? That is a question that each and every one of us has to answer, and we have to get it right. If you don't know who Jesus is, when you stand before him, it's going to not go well for you. It's important to understand who he is. And when you understand who Jesus is and who he is in your life, it's important, crucial, that each and every one of us has a relationship with him. I've, I've heard it said, and I've said it myself many times, that all of us, no matter who we are, we're going to stand before the Lord at one day. So you have the opportunity. Are you going to stand before a stranger or a friend? I don't know about you, but I want to stand before a friend. I want to stand before the one that has pardoned my sins, that has redeemed me, that has purchased me, and I want to stand before him with love and joy and worship in my heart. The scripture says a lot about Jesus. I know, to, I know that when, when we get to know people, we start to understand their personality. We start to understand who they are. We understand how they think. And we are, are able to develop more descriptors, more adjectives to describe those, those people. I, I, I love adjectives. When uh, Back in the day when we, when we taught... Um, English, uh, you know, we had the nouns and then we had the subject. We had, we had adjectives. Adjectives always describe the noun, the, the subject, and, and they can express uh, physical description. They can express emotional. They can ex express the appearance. They can describe the IQ. They, uh, descriptors are amazing. And we use them to, to illustrate to others what a person would look like or what a person would act like or, or what a person sounds like. I have to admit, and I do this without any shame, that women are far better with adjectives than men because I can't even remember what I wore yesterday and my wife can remember what I wore 27 years ago and the conversation we had and the facial expressions I had. 
she's really good at that. I'm not. Uh, but there are more to the people, to a person, than that we can describe with adjectives. And the more we know a person, the more we can describe them accurately. A couple of weeks ago, or last week, I think it was last a week ago, Saturday, we had the celebration of life service for Judy Retallick, a family that has been in this church for many, many, many years. In fact, uh, the Retallick's grandparents used to teach Sunday school here, and then it was the Retallick's, and then, and then their children were raised here. And then after, after the service, when we were having a fellowship time, I, I was doing my thing and making my rounds to, to all of the people I didn't know because I love to meet people I don't know. And, and, I, and I came to this one table, and, I, and as I sat down, I started talking to them. They looked at me in unison, all five of them, and said, you have an amazing wife. And I thought, yes, I do. But then they began to explain to me using descriptions of why she was so amazing. And these are people that, that had just met her, but they were able to pick up that, that she said, you are blessed and your church is blessed. And I said, you know what? You are right. I am blessed to have such an amazing wife. And to be honest, church, you're blessed to have such an amazing pastor's wife. And 27 years from now, she's going to say, you were wearing that blue plaid jacket. <laughs> and this is what you said. The better we know somebody, the better we can describe them. And the more you know Jesus, the better you can describe him. When speaking of God... Uh, we, we must not fall into the trap of believing that we know everything about our Creator. We have a lot of theology and doctrines and things that, that, are, that we use in descriptions, some adjectives that we use to describe God. A lot of them are from the Word of God. And we use them. We, we say that He is all-knowing, that He is all-powerful, and, 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 we, and we believe that. But I don't think we can fully grasp the, the whole dynamic of who God really is and how powerful he really is. We try our best and we try to articulate, we try to use descriptions to help us understand the amazing characteristics of God. But how can a finite mind comprehend the infinite? When you're out, and I, I don't know, my, my latest... My latest joy is walking. I don't know. I just like to walk. And when you walk and you look up and you see the sky and you see the clouds and, or you start observing trees and the, and the wind that rustles through the trees and you, sometimes you can get overwhelmed thinking, how great is God? That he created this and, and he didn't just create everything that we know. He just simply spoke it into existence. I know a lot of times we, we try to create things and we throw that model away and then we throw that model away 
uh, and, and, and we try to, to build and create. I, I had a lot of joy yesterday because I actually got to spend a few hours just tinkering with the old Mustang. It was so much fun putting the, uh, the dimmer switch down on the, on the, on the floor. It, it, was just, it was just fun. It just, you know, but the thing is, I didn't create that Mustang. I just enjoy putting it back together. God created everything you know. He was here before the worlds existed, and he will be here after the worlds existed. The scripture tells us that he has always been. That God is in this room and he's in the next room and he is on the moon and in, on Mars and in this galaxy and the next galaxy and the next galaxy. The scripture just says he's omniscient. He is everywhere always at the same time. God is bigger than what you and I can ever imagine. And we have attributes or descriptors to describe how great he really is, and yet they all fail to express God's fullness. How can a mortal describe the immortality of God? We had a starting date. We have an expiration date. We don't even know what is going to happen this afternoon, let alone after this life is over and we're going to spend eternity with God. We don't understand it. We know it. We believe it. We trust it. But if any of us wanted to try to explain what it's going to look like and how we're going to see it, there, there are people in, this, in the Bible, John the Revelator tried to describe what he saw, and yet it's indescribable the things that God has prepared. How can we, a finite individual, a finite being, describe the immortality and the majesty and the glory of a spirit that has always been, that encompasses everything, that has all power and glory? How can we understand him and yet here's Isaiah 750 years before Christ I love the writings of Isaiah he he had an inroad with God scripture tells us that that scripture is inspired by the spirit the Holy Spirit. I, I can't imagine what it was like to be Isaiah. And he pins these words in, in Isaiah 9, 6. And yet he says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he's, he's writing this down. And he says, And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. His name's going to be called Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All of these are descriptions of the majesty of Christ. And he's never given his name. And he never knows his name. But one of the things that he says in here, and, and this is where 
We talked about Christ being the wonderful counselor last week. This week I want to talk to you about mighty God. Christ. This is not a slip of the pen. This is not something that was inserted by somebody else that should not be there. Isaiah, in describing Christ, a man that was going to be born, said that he, it will be called the mighty God. That Christ himself would be fully man and fully God. Seems to be an oxymoron. How, how can the creator be a creation? Isaiah wasn't saying that he would be a mighty God. Isaiah was Jewish. They lived by Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Isaiah didn't write about a demigod. He didn't look as a lesser God. He said he's the mighty God. He didn't speak of the lesser God. Isaiah knew there was only one God. Isaiah knew that this child was going to be almighty God. And how can an almighty God, was, which is infinite, which is everywhere, which has all power, all glory, all majesty, all might, how can he robe himself and become human? Paul, another Jewish scholar, describes Jesus, and he uses a hymn that was used in his day. It's 1 Timothy 3.16, and he says with this, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Another translation says, and without controversy or without question, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. This great mystery of godliness, of, of, of Christ, mystified, bewildered the first century followers. It, it was something that astounded Paul. It astonished Peter. It took all the other disciples. In fact, it was one of the things that every one of the followers of Christ had to grasp. In fact, it was, it was Philip that that was struggling and, and he was trying to understand who Jesus is. And, and he looked at him and says, Jesus, if you'll just show us who the Father is, it's going to satisfy me. And, and Jesus said in John 14, 9, he says, Philip, haven't I been with you such a long time and you still don't know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. See, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Fully man, in that he learned, he grew. And the Bible says in Luke 2:52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And yet, you have to ask yourself, why? Why? Why would God become one of us? 
And to answer that, you have to go back to the garden. See, it was humanity that broke the relationship and the trust with God. They had a relationship that God would come down in the cool of the evening and talk with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that your relationship with God is so close that the creator of all things comes down every day and talks with you. He says, how was your day? He's God. He knows how your day was. But there was something in that relationship that God loved. And it was Adam and Eve that allowed their pride to get in the way. And they were deceived because they wanted to be like God. And they broke the relationship, they broke the trust, they sinned. Any relationship that you have, if I offend my wife, I can't send one of my kids to apologize for me. I can't send an ambassador to apologize for me. I can't have the florist bring flowers and apologize for me. Those may all be good steps, but if I really want to reconcile because I've offended her, I have to come. And I have to say, I'm the one that did it. And I am so sorry. And it was, it would have to be me that would make amends. Man broke the relationship with God and it's man that had to come and restore it. And yet with God, he required a sacrifice and he knew that we were imperfect beings, that we could not come to a holy God being unholy, So God robed himself in flesh and the Son of God became the Son of Man. A perfect man. A perfect, sinless man. Though he was fully man, he was fully God. Paul Paul tries to comprehend this and, and, and help us understand in, in, in the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, he said he was, didn't consider it to be equality with God, but made himself, made himself. In other words, he did it on his own. No one made him. No one suggested it to him that God loved this relationship with humanity so much that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. 
Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was fully man in the sense that he did not know everything, but he was fully God in nature and character. You see, Christ came, God in flesh, did not come with his omniscience, did not come with his omnipotence, came with his pure character. Who he is. And he defeated death. He paid the penalty of that separation and relationship with humanity because he was the only one that could do it. And Christ came and Christ lived and Christ died on our behalf because it was humanity that broke the relationship and it was humanity that had to come back and say I was wrong and God took that sacrifice that perfect sacrifice that perfect being the blood of Christ, and, and used it. And now we have opportunity, you and I, to walk in a relationship with God through Christ. Not through us, because no matter how much we tried, we, you and I, could not bridge that gap. We couldn't jump that that, that gorge. We could not do what Christ did for us. Though we may have wanted a relationship with God, there was no way you could have a relationship with God until somebody that was pure, that was holy, that was righteous, that was worthy to be able to say, humanity dropped the ball, but now humanity in Christ brought us together. And it's in Christ. It's in Christ alone that you and I have an opportunity to live in relationship with him. Philippians 2.6 says this, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. How do you dis disrobe yourself of all the vestiges of power and knowledge? a mystery even greater still why 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 would this all knowing all powerful eternal spirit that spoke 
the worlds into existence. Scripture says that he measured the oceans in the palm of his hand. Just poured them out. Why would he set aside his regal robes and become one of us to pay the penalty for our sins, for our disobedience, for our transgressions, to pave a way so that we could have a relationship with Almighty God. Why didn't he just wipe us out and start fresh? Why didn't he do something else? He is Almighty God. He could have done anything he wanted, but the scripture says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world. I don't get that I don't get that love. I don't understand that love. I don't comprehend that love. I try to love. You try to love. But can you imagine the love it took? And the reason why is simply this. We are his creation. God created us. God could have done whatever he wanted to. God desires a relationship, a restored relationship with humanity. Have you considered when you woke up this morning that God has a great desire to be the center of your life? That God himself wants to be there with you and he has done everything he can to make that possible. The door is open. And you say, well, what is our response? Our response is, is always that of the person that has offended. You come to God and you say, God, I am sorry I'm the one that was wrong I'm the one that had the bad attitude I'm the one that transgressed against you I'm the one I'm the guilty one and yet there's nothing that you can do on your own because God alone has made provision for us it's been said that that, that we don't earn and you can't earn your salvation and that is true there's not a person in here there's not a person in the, on the face of this earth that can say I earned my salvation it's a free gift from God for no other reason than that he loves you but our response to that has to be an undying, unwavering love and devotion to him.
So we come to him for salvation because he has made that way. But if you want to know him more than Savior, if you want to know him as sanctifier, if you want to know him as healer, if you want to know him as a friend that stays closer than a brother, if you want to know him as deliverer, if you want to know him as the one that, that will stay by your side that is closer than a brother, if you want to know Jesus far more than what you know him as Savior, then it requires that, that we get close to him. And that's what he wants from us. Anyway, it's the reason of the mystery. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Paul writing in, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this. He said that God was in Christ and he reconciled the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The real mystery. The real mystery is that Christ reconciled the world. That simply means he brought us back into relationship with God. That's God's part. How close that relationship is is your part. Do you want him to just be your savior? Or do you want him to be your very best friend? That's what God is after. God is after a relationship with you that he can speak to you in the cool of the day. God is, is after a relationship with you that, that when, when your attitude goes off, off the rails, he can just speak and say, you know, maybe we ought to adjust that. And you say, you're right. God is not here to destroy us. God is not here to, to strip anything from you. God is here because he wants a personal, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. And he has paid the ultimate price. He has done what his part, and now our part is to draw close to him. Because if you draw close to the Lord, he will draw close to you. Would you stand with me?